0: everybody, it's Gavin Fox here from Dublin Tech Talks. Good to speak to you. Um, we have a great show to you today. We have Louise Bernstein, who is Director of Product for HubSpot. As always, our shows are brought to you in association with Iconic Counting. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be speaking to Louise about her journey, um, about how she has got into product, where she's got her love for product technology, um, her you know, how she's built her teams, working in a growing company like HubSpot, what she's learned the last 12, 18 months, what that taught her and a bit of everything in between. So um, we hope you enjoy and I'll speak. Louise, welcome to Dublin Tech Talks. Good to see you.
1: Thank you. Great to be chatting with you, with
2: you both today.
0: And Dawa, uh, good to see you again. Welcome. I
2: can see you too. Thank you, Kevin. Hi, So Louise, you.
0: Director of Product in HubSpot. You've um, <laughs> been there about two and a half years. What What's your role and kind of, how have you got to where you are today?
1: Um, so my role is um, a Director of Product for our Flywheel Product Group, which is essentially the group driving the enterprise tier or the upmarket tier of everything we do. And we also solve for HubSpot itself. So HubSpot the business also runs upon HubSpot product. Um, So that's why we we are expert in all things upmarket for HubSpot as well as our upmarket tier. Um, And I've been doing product management for about 15 years. I love it. I don't see myself doing anything else. Um, um, And at the moment I'm in the phase where I'm more removed from the product building which is where I started you know hands-on stuff and now I'm more a managing team so really the people have become my product versus the hands-on software itself.
0: And and was that a big change for yourself when you when you moved away from you know your day-to-day into more of the people management side was that a, a kind of a, a difficult mindset change or was that something that you kind of embraced?
1: Well I it's it happened over time. It was always, it, it, it had to be a slow mind shift change because um, as they start to become a, a senior product manager in companies, you, you start being involved in building teams and you start being involved in coaching others. And then slowly over time, you realize, oh, this is, this is what I'm doing most of the day now. And I'm actually having FOMO missing out on, on the hands-on uh, product building side. But really the official change is when I um, became a group product manager, which is really when you move away from the, the building software. And, you know, sometimes it, it is hard um, to, to step away from the stuff you really fell in love with, which is being in those workshops, working with engineers and, and designers and analysts and getting into the nub of the issue and user interviews. Um, but I, I do love the people side of, of building great product teams so much. So it's a happy transition. It was a transition, but I'm really, I'm loving where I'm at now, which is you're building healthy teams to build great products. Um, without a healthy team, you're never going to build great stuff. So that's that's where I'm focused.
2: Um, and can I just interject there, Louise? I'm curious to know what, what you would define as a healthy team and how you ensure that's um, implemented within hubspot the healthy team ethos it is and it really
1: is you have to be people first work second and sometimes that's a hard you can get so caught up in just the work the work the work um but if you don't think of your team first you actually will never know what you potentially didn't do you'll never know what impact you potentially couldn't drive because you're not getting the most out of those around you And so a healthy team um, is when they become more than the sum of their parts. So it's not you're not relying on superstars um, or an amazing idea. Actually, the team can generate this wonderfulness themselves. Uh, And I split it into three different categories. One is um, so having a great strategy. Having a good north star or a vision of where you want to get to, so you know where you are, you know where you want to get to. So that's more the work side, and the measurements of success and all of that. But then you have those other two pieces of what is the operating system of your team? How do you think about communication? Over communication? How do you think about transparency? How do you think of the cadence of when you come together and you discuss big topics? What is the structure of your team are you scaling your team in a way that's balanced you're not hiring all product managers that have no product designers to work with, to work with are you hiring all these engineers and, and no analysts to, to, so what is that balance of also growing your team that's all, also part of your operating system and um, if you don't have balance it just creates tension and then the thing that actually surrounds everything which is really that health and culture piece so um, fostering psychological safety. Do you have trust? Do people trust each other? And are people not afraid to speak their mind, even if they might be wrong? And is it okay for them to make mistakes? How do you foster a sense of learning? So the a failure? It's, oh, great, we learned that. Now let's pivot and do doing something else. So that sense of psychological safety. It's critical for that trust building. Um, and then you get more voices in the room because they're not afraid to speak up. Mm-hmm. Not fostering that, it's the, the, then you kind of come to the um, uh, feelings of belonging and, and the diversity in your team, which is also part of the, 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 the health of it.
2: Yeah, and do you define it for the product management team or is this company-wide? Is it, is it like a company-wide initiative, like cross-functionally team building and team happiness? Or is it just your team? Um, it's something
1: that I've instilled everywhere I've been. And that's what really attracted me to HubSpot because it is so part of our ethos. Um, and especially ensuring that people in this and really in this work from home environment have people still feel a sense of belonging to the team, still feel a sense sense of psychological safety. Because it is hard to feel a connection when everyone is, is not in the same room. yeah, You have to work really hard.
2: Mm. Um, and what, what kind of tools do you use to build that? Or is it sort of meeting space or um, retros or, um, I don't know, feedback loops, or what would you recommend how people foster this? Well, the first is the mindset
1: that not everyone has the same communication style. Some people, are very, very confident, but may not be saying the best idea. So don't always lean into the person who might be the most vocal. Tap into the people who have a different communication style and that's cool. People who like to be reading things up front and comment or don't rush to make a decision in one meeting, have an ability to follow up afterwards, especially when people can comment on docs. Create a whiteboard before, during, and after a session like Miro or, or chart and have an environment where um, you ask people's opinion proactively as well. So some people may not volunteer their opinion until you actually draw them out, until you ask them. It also shows confidence that you really want to hear from them as well in the session. So so knowing that as a, as a mindset, you have to tap into everyone. And If someone's quiet, that does not mean that they don't have anything
2: to offer. Yeah, that's super sorry. Yeah, I know that's super, super interesting. Um, I noticed that you spent a while working, I think, in Montreal, right? In Canada. Canada, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was very curious. I also worked stateside um for about eight years in the Bay Area. And I I guess I'm curious to know if 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 you saw many differences between, you know, stateside, or I guess it's Canada, right, but North America and, and, and Europe in terms of working styles, and if that informed your ultimate approach to this team building? It's a really interesting question, and I've never actually thought about that
1: too deeply, especially between Montreal, and actually I spent a lot of time in the Bay, in the Bay Area, because um, a lot of our main customers were there. Um, as well as when the Montreal company were purchased, by a company in San Diego, um, and there it was something we had to be very proactive in, in, in thinking about and, and working through, and um, because Montreal is a bilingual city, um, When I think bilingual really is French, but 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 English is uh, is is spoken while, widely, um, but not not everyone speaks English in the office. So it was normal to ensure that you didn't um, use jokes that not everyone would understand, or colloquialisms, especially because I was coming from Ireland. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So people were also respectful in doing that for me. But because not everyone's first language was was English, we had to be really cognizant of that. Um, And if you were writing, and um, big memos don't use huge long, we you know and read them anyway, so that if they're boring, big long complicated English words and saying that people were writing something in French. So it was just easier for people to pick up what the message was and, and have them in both languages where you could to make sure it was very, it would resonate well. And it did take a while for the American company to understand how important that was and not just a default to English, English, English. It was actually the law, Bill 101, the law was that everything had to be in French first. Um, And it took probably a good six to 10 months for that to really resonate um, and for them to hire a translator and ensure things are well understood and in company meetings, have some in French. So there was a big learning curve there that English is even if a language is default for you, respect the facts it's not a default for everybody.
2: Okay.
1: And then I think between uh, Ireland and and the states, um, even between between states in the US, the 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 lingo is different, the jo- the humor is different. Um, and we've had a few instances actually quite recently in HubSpot where our Irish humor can be quite um be sarcastic and yeah. quite um, saucy <laughs> and um, um, things could be misinterpreted mm-hmm. uh, and we've had some 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 incidences where things have been misinterpreted and we're really not the language user was really not had that in, in intent so you have to be thinking about that all the time especially because we have people from 30 different countries probably I mean plus in HubSpot um, and so and where
0: is. your teams are where, your, where are your teams at the moment? There, uh, my
1: teams is. are in um, now a couple of different states in the U.S. and then uh, mostly Ireland, but soon Spain and the U.K.
0: So, so that problem will be multiplied pretty quickly, huh. and. Uh, you know, how, how do you, you know, you've 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 lived that problem, and you've 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 been able to do it. It's 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 not a common problem for a lot of people coming in. So that's going to be an education on its own, isn't
1: it? It is, and it's all, it's not even about language. It's about different, different people mm. as well as different cultures. Just are you have to tap into just the way they like to work. But understanding how people work and the way they like to work is really important. So you just don't imprint your style on other people, Yeah, especially because I used to work with a lot of people in, in Japan and South Korea in, in other companies. And there was a real adaptation um, in a meeting room. It's very normal for people not to volunteer their opinion unless they are asked for it. Mm. Um, so you have to be very
2: cognizant of that. Um, And is HubSpot, is it a remote, it's not remote first, I mean, it's obviously become remote first because of COVID, but beyond COVID, are you planning on getting people back into the office within the regional areas? Um, Our offices will open. Um, I
1: think our (laughs) office will open last, that's fine. But we're going to have a, what we're calling future of work, which is everybody has selected if they want to stay full-time remote, if they want to go into the office full time, or if they want to go flex, flex is two to three days in an office, and I personally have chosen flex, that is now the way we work forever now. And for everyone who works from home, either full time or part time, you get a stipend to spend on making your work office comfortable, and your work environment comfortable. And um, so I have spent this on, on the, the standing desk I'm using now, uh, plants to make it comfortable. A lot of my team has spent it on uh, fancy coffee machines. Um, so we really want to make your work life, whether you're at home or in the office, as comfortable as possible. And we're taking a, the ethos of um, your company culture is not in the hallways. Mm. It's in just the people who work for the company. So. How do we not concentrate culture in just HubSpot offices? Because HubSpot offices are very well known as being fun, just like a Google office or a LinkedIn office. There's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. So we want to bring that into people's homes
0: as well. And that's gonna be awesome. a that's a fundamental kind of change then. Because mm-hmm. what I, I know your offices, I've watched the new one get built and obviously been yeah. in your, your original. One and like they're lovely to be in. And it's, you know, that is a sell of the organization to work in such a nice place. And obviously you're, you're giving at at the moment, but that, that's a sell to a lot of people who join a type of company like that. So I'm guessing leadership and yourself and and whoever is, is very cognizant of that. And it's managing people that I think we mentioned this before about being in the room and how you get the best out of them and keeping them engaged in the ethos of the business. That's, Mm -hmm probably challenge 2.0 at the moment, is it?
1: Absolutely, it, it is. In in work settings or personal settings, people do have more fun when we're in person. Mm. We all got pretty sick of of Zoom of quizzes pretty <laughs> within the first few <laughs> meetings of lockdown. Um, so we have to get really creative in how we create some sense of fun and connectivity outside of work. Um, and one way, so I'm part of the women at at HubSpot Leadership Group. And one one thing we're trying to do is how can we do remote events, but have something tangible as part of them? So I've organized a graffiti event in May where we're sending, we're using actually this group called With Locals. They are awesome. They're an alternative to, um, or they're just like the Airbnb experiences. And we're sending out physical materials to people so they can create a physical piece of art oh, of with everyone else remotely. Yeah. So there's that balance between your 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 through a screen still, but you still have something tangible and physical. Mm-hmm. And that is how to bring a little bit of that cultural connected fun uh, and feeling um, without just feeling very digital all the time. Yeah. But it's we have to keep on being very creative because looking at a screen all day is, is very tiring, even if it's to do something outside of work.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and definitely, like, working on the the work-life balance and bringing the fun into the home, like, that's so interesting that, you know, HubSpot's actively pursuing that. I don't know how how many other companies are, have you heard anything from how the other tech giants are kind of dealing with this problem of of bringing the work-life balance and the office culture into the home environment do you think this is a new challenge for tech yes
1: it's a learn as we go
2: (laughs) yeah as as we go
1: um because i think we all over indexed on just zoom events zoom events zoom events and they worked for a while but then we actually had to to pare back because people stopped coming to the same degree yes because of course you know if you're on zoom we're very zoom-centric. We're very so we and we turn our cameras on for every meeting as well. But that does have a cognitive load to it.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. So That's also cool. something is, um, we're still trying to send out what we call swag. I can't even remember what swag stands for, but um, company gear.
2: Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like or, or, or a jigsaw for International Women's Day. So things that are also tangible and physical. We're really trying to keep that going and if you're a new hire you get a big backpack of physical goodies um, that tie little hub spot into where you're working and you don't necessarily need to be in the office
0: the,
2: the,
0: the, uh, the, the, oh sorry So yeah i'll yeah
2: I'll, I'll go um no daryl go oh well no, i was just going to ask um about new hires do you have like an in-person onboarding then to kind of bring them up to speed with everything HubSpot or is that fully remote as well? It's fully remote. Um, in fact, I was the um,
1: introducer of the last group. So we, we rotate across all of our, like for our, our EMEA cohort where we rotate amongst all, all of the directors. So I was lucky enough to meet the new hire group two weeks ago, I wish there were 70 um, across EMEA. We, can't, we just can't do that in person, but it was just wonderful to see because we're now so remote friendly. It was wonderful to see how many people were in these different countries, um, all starting and all part of the same onboarding. Firstly, you have to be in a physical location. Um, but yes, we, we have eight, we've adjusted it to be remote friendly. So instead of it being two full weeks all day, The um, LD program managers, they're just, they completely reinvented how we onboarding people to be a little bit more lightweight. Um, It's still, of course, all on Zoom, um, but there's more work of Zoom and they've completely adjusted it to so it remains engaging. um, uh, And there's also a lot of get-to-know you events so people can build relationships with people, that was some of the, mm-hmm. the best part of onboarding is the relationships that you build mm-hmm. and you're, you remain friends, even if you work in different teams, but like yeah. you were a, a cohort.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like the first week at university there That's that it, people yeah. that you stick with. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Sarah Louise, you've you mentioned hiring and scaling so much and your, your team was one of the first um, kind of not centrally located teams that you mm. managed. How how has the process over the last 18 months changed even how you hire or the people? You, you must be accessing better talent and more diverse talent than ever. Pain
1: um, on the head. So um, our product team was the first product team to really embrace distributed teams. Um, and so we were starting some years ago. Um, mm. So we're actually quite well placed. We there was no real difference for when we all started to work. From home, where there actually was a bigger difference for other teams that really focused in on co location, which has a lot of benefits. I mean, being in one room does have a massive benefit. You can get things done yeah. really quickly. However, you can optimize for homogeneity by doing that. Um, where if you hire talent first, location second, you can optimize it a little bit more for diversity and it happens a little bit more organically. However, we did learn there are problems with that when we started mismatching people with time zones. Where you have one person who's the only person in one time zone and everybody else was in another. It was quite hard to, to match working hours. So yeah. we actually created some, some stress there for people. So we have um, re Thought how we do that, and we're clustering people together in similar time zones. They don't have to be in the same office, yeah. but at least in their same similarish time zones, we overcome some of the struggles that we had at the beginning. Um, and then really ensuring that another thing we had to be, we were purposeful after we learned the hard lesson of when people are working across multiple regions and we're all using online collaboration tools making sure people understand that different people communicate differently. Uh, and
0: to maximize that instead of just leaning into one person talking on the screen. Do you think it's, it's, it's I'll put you on the spot here now because you've heard people, it's obviously better now than it was before. Um, but do you think that it will, it will allow for better creativity of product? Do you think mm-hmm. it, things will will kind of, normalize itself obviously when things go back to the way it was i don't think it will ever go back to the way it was Mm -hmm. like that whole 18 months ago um but do you think it now you you're you're getting better better creativity you're getting better your your business will be better for it or do you still think there's going to be a a kind of a a learning curve on that before it kind of starts peaking
1: i think we are absolutely stronger for it because like now we are forcing people to work in one way, um, but when we go back to giving people the, the option to work they, the way that suits them. So in an office, fully remote or having that flex, mm-hmm. you're allowing people to do their best work in their best way. But this will absolutely add to the impact of any team because the person is more comfortable in the way that they're working and that that's back to the health of a team, the stronger the health of a team, the more impact that they can generate. I really do think this is something that, thank goodness, there's at least some silver lining of this where it's been a forcing function for, for all companies to recognize the value of flexible working. And we'll naturally get more diversity, especially in gender with the flexible working of teams, because that was a huge disadvantage for, because unfortunately women do carry most of the mental load of family caring. So that flexibility is just really going to amplify their ability to enter into teams which have um, what what would have been from more traditional hours in office hours.
0: I'm conscious of the time and I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. There, there was something me and Dara actually were talking about b- beforehand. And it's something I'm heavily involved in in Dublin at the moment. It's, it's around the, the kind of STEM and, and wits and mm-hmm. getting, you know, more diverse teams, not yeah, you know, women, but into technology and how we do that. I know you're, you're heavily involved in that as well, Louise. So what's your thoughts on where we are, at the moment where we can get to um I was giving out beforehand about um, the conversation is still the same conversation that we've had year on year. And I there's small solutions starting, but as Dawa said, it was like the fundamental changes need to be made in a lot of areas for it to, to really get going. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on it and, and what more we can do.
1: Oh my goodness, do you have another half an hour? Um <laughs> you know, um there's, there's, there's two ends of, of the spectrum. One, of, one is creating workplaces that are more family friendly and have the psychological safety and the feeling of belonging. They really work on their culture but it's not celebrating one type of personality. That, that's one end which we've touched on a little bit. There's also, before even people enter the workplace, how are we positioning them? How are we creating role models that are visible to more women, to say it's hard to think of yourself as being something if you've no one like you who is that thing. Um, and removing the the idea, I, I talk to a lot of girls in in or girls' schools, and so many of them think that tech is kind of just about coding, and they're missing out on this positioning of how creative it is. Because so, you know, if you want to drive change, tech is where it's at that's where you drive change regardless of what topics you're interested in you layer upon you layer upon any subject tech, you can drive change and really help people and you can do it very creatively Uh, the behavioral psychology roles in in technology uh like behavioral economics or you have this wonderful creativity in how you design solutions that are user-friendly accessible and if we don't have all of that, all the diversity in people building these products. I don't think they realize that they're left out of the solution. They are, there's this wonderful book Invisible Women and it just basically the whole book is examples of how women have been left out of solutions and they're just not designed for 50% of the population because they weren't in the room. So realizing that technology is all around us, you want to see to the table and how that impacts you. Um, and that scene can be incredibly creative and impactful. It's not just people coding. And that picture of technology is just not presented to girls in girls' schools. Um, it certainly wasn't in mine, but I mean, that's been a little while ago. Um, but I'm not sure if things have changed enough. Well, I know I things think, are not changing. I
0: actually much. heard uh, one of your podcast and you mentioned there was a teacher who brought in coding into into your school that was similar to mine i I remember in primary school as well there was one teacher who had 30 minutes at lunchtime you got to you got to be at a computer and you play you created on bbc computers and like that that was it that was my that was my computers now i went off and did computer applications after doing that so uh, (laughs) i'm glad i dropped out because i was really poor at programming (laughs) so am i (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with your, and I, I was saying this beforehand with the, the w- what technology is like programming isn't for everybody. There's a certain type of person that will be a programmer mm-hmm. and they, you know, I always feel that it's, that's what we talk about rather than get people involved in technology. You know, no, like I, I only know a few people who really enjoy program or programming or coding and probably they don't enjoy it most of the time because they're stuck with their earphones in and they're plugging away, but there's so much more in technology. And I personally, I think that's how the conversation needs to evolve and from schooling all the way through. Yeah.
1: Do you like problem solving?
2: Yes. Great. That's for you.
0: (laughs) And communicate. (laughs) Brilliant.
1: That's what you want to hear. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And it might be that, you know, for some people, they, they would like a hybrid role because we're very kind of split you know and even in school you have to choose certain topics at a level and then degree it's very specialized whereas some people do well like they're kind of global thinkers across disciplines and having this like multidisciplinary mindset like maybe they become product managers because they get to think across all different functions yeah. of a product right and company Whereas some people, I guess, do better specializing in one thing, so it's different things, different people, but maybe there's more scope for these hybrid roles or for people to bounce around even within companies to find their niche, to see where they fit. That is, you just described the absolute perfect
1: um, rounded person who enters any type of tech role. having a life experience, business experience, subject matter experience. You can be a lawyer and you come in and then you add technology to your experience and you can solve problems within the law space that you weren't able yeah. to before. Um, and That's- if you, so that a product manager, as you said, needs to be doing a little bit of marketing, a little bit of customer success, yeah. a little bit of sales. Yeah. And um, in how we make, decisions not the the code is not the end of your product it's mm-hmm. how people in, ensuring people can access it and ensuring also people can
2: understand it you need way more skill sets than just yeah the precise technology but also there's this like you could sort of you know work shadow other disciplines or rotate even like try like it's as like a work experience within a company because you have more empathy for different people's roles because it's easy for you know designers or and developers to be like who's right or who's dictating the product like nobody should right it should be true collaboration but once you understand the complexities of someone's role and what they're up against you have more empathy to want to include them and it creates a more inclusive culture if you can generate this empathy yeah Because I know
1: technology uh, is a layer upon everything else hmm. that naturally includes all the other experiences that you've had. Mm -hmm. You don't need to start in technology to have a career
0: in technology. I I think it's going to be interesting in a few years when like no code comes more into things and coding actually won't be a necessity for a lot of it be automated and it will be, you know, you won't need as many developers to do it where the more creative Understanding person is going to be the right like the there that's the person that's going to be in more demand. Like product has exploded in five six years um, as such a demand, despite maybe other markets in Ireland anyway has been you know suddenly nobody wanted a project manager they all wanted product managers and product owners and um, people CVs changed very quickly it was magic. Um, so I you know I I think it will evolve and I I think the companies that adapt that ethos of you know let's take code out of it and we'll always have that problem or we can fix that as another you know what are we looking for in a person and hire that person that like the more i hear that i know hubspot are big into that and some other organizations but to me that's that's how we solve a big problem of kind of trying to balance up teams or even trying to get different and kind of ethnic environments into into teams
1: that makes a lot of sense
0: she said, can I press pause on that? <laughs> no, but um, before I let you go, Louise, um, I'll, I'll ask the last question. The last 18 months, um, 12 months, since since February last year, what what, what has it changed for you? What, what have you learned or found that you've kind of had to adapt or change and to become a better leader or even just to kind of, be where you are today because you're a very positive person and, and you've been very successful. So the last 12 months with anybody has been challenging. So what what have you, what are your kind of aha moments or takeaways for the last few months?
1: The doubling down on the importance of team health before everything. Um, and it's always been something that I've been working on and, in, and um, with other leaders who have, who are like-minded and how important that is, but just doubling down on that has been really, really, really critical. And learning about burnout. I've learned a lot about burnout and the signs of burnout that are more than just being fatigued. It's cynicism, it's a disconnection from um, a disconnection from enjoying. Your, your day, let alone your your work, there's a lot more to it. So over the last year, um, I think my own knowledge and my own empathy towards um, the munge together of work life as well as personal lives together is just absolutely critical. You have to think of a person of their work life and their personal life. It's, a, it's one of the same, it always has been, but really recognizing that in the last year has, um, I've really come forward and it's just really important of how we're thinking about building healthy teams um and even when we go back to a more normal um work-life balance and if we're in offices again i'm not going to change how i approach that holistic thinking um and I, so it's been a great a great learning
0: brilliant thanks Mill, for your time louise dawa thanks Mill, for your time as well Um i really enjoyed that thank being- you Director of Product with HubSpot. Thanks, Mill, for your time. Dawa, we'll speak to you
1: soon. Great. Bye bye. Take care. Bye.
0: So that was uh, Louise Bernstein, Director of Product with HubSpot, um, and Dawa Riley, who is Director of Product Design with Clever Cards. Um, really interesting conversation there with uh, Louise and Dawa, just about creating highly successful teams, um, hiring the right talent, letting them. Be, there, be the best people they can be and just really being empathetic at the moment to people, but also really understanding their needs and wants. Um, if you enjoyed that, please subscribe to our social channels. Um, this will be released on our Spotify, our Apple and our YouTube channels.